my joy and crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with you, Odea, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. David, this okay? Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Look, it's Father's Day. I, I try to find something pertinent for a sort of sophisticated Cambridge church about Father's Day. The best I came up with was, was what do you call a man who tells dad jokes without being a dad? A faux pas. Uh. <laughs> I kind of thought if that was the best I could come up with, it was, it was really the Lord saying, stick to teaching the Bible, Hugh. But, so we'll do that, and we'll head to Philippians 4. And actually, the thrust of this last chapter, the thrust of the whole letter, really, is there in verse 1. Stand firm in the Lord. Uh, Paul writes it. That's his message for us this morning. You say, well, Hugh, you're preaching to the choir, you're preaching to the converted, we're on your side already, why do you think we're here? Uh, fair enough. It, it, it's a strange phrase, that one, isn't it, about preaching to the choir? In my experience, uh, it's fatal to assume that the ordinary church choir is converted. Uh, you need to preach to the choir. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I'm thrilled you're here. Uh, but stand firm is still the message. Uh, as we've seen yesterday in chapter 3, we may be on the road, but we've not arrived yet. And there are plenty of voices both outside the church and inside uh, church circles that will undermine the path we're on uh, or lure us away to some attractive alternative, one of those uh, many religious dead ends even. And there are physical as well as spiritual battles that many of us are going to have to face on the journey. Uh, we ended chapter 3, if you remember, talking about these lowly bodies, and they're not fit for heaven. Uh, they wear out uh, through time. It's one of the downsides of growing old. Uh, even if we avoid persecution, it's humbling. 
it's great to know there's a new body ahead and uh, some of us can think of lots of ways in which we need the new bodies but we've still got to get from here to there and as life narrows for some uh, closes in patterns of discipleship have to change I can't drift into just standing firm with the Lord. It challenges our sense of identity and who we are. Or, or, or it may be just we're here this morning and frankly, we're just very, very tired still after two years of pandemic. Uh, how do I stand firm in the Lord? Well, look how the chapter starts. Therefore, he says, this is the, the application of everything we heard uh, yesterday. Therefore, stand firm in the Lord in this way. And as he writes, it goes way beyond just cling on or even just keep plodding on. Uh, Paul wants to get me on the front foot. And this chapter spells out how. At first sight, if you just skim read it, it can sound like a sort of series of uh, you know, disconnected morality soundbites. Rejoice, verse 4. Pray, verse 6. Think, verse 8. Do, verse 9. But the message is stand firm in the Lord. There's the thread that holds it all together. Uh, this isn't a dry morality lecture. Uh, look again at verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I mean, imagine you are sitting there. As I said before, Christchurch Philippi, the letters being read out, and you hear those words. Love. Long for. My joy and crown. Dear friends, the great apostle is talking about you. What an encouragement. I mean, he's going through enough himself, isn't he? But he's not happy just to make it to the end himself. He wants to go face to face with Jesus, with you. I couldn't read verse 1, really, without uh, starting to ask myself, who in the Christian family do I see as my joy and crown? Who am I longing to have there beside me, face to face with Jesus? Stand firm. Stand firm in this way. And the first thing you notice is that standing firm is a together issue. Now look at verses 2 and 3. It's having the same mind in the Lord together. Verse 2, I plead with you, Odia, I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. They're the same mind in the Lord. Euodia and Syntyche, or however you're meant to pronounce them, the, the couple who are no longer talking to each other. Or if they ever do, it's just to disagree with one another. Sadly, they're not strangers for too many churches. These kinds of standoff uh, between uh, church members are too common, aren't they? Uh, I can remember once when I was... Uh, Back in Norfolk, I had a, a job with the diocese, and I just was traveling around different uh, churches who wanted me. Uh, one church asked me if I would come and lead their services. It was the Sunday after Easter. The vicar wanted a holiday, which was fine. Uh, and I was asked to do that. It was take a communion service, and he gave me all the instructions as to what I should do. And there came the bit of the exchanging the peace. 
you know, meant to be the sort of sign of the end of any quarrels and everything. And he said, you exchange the peace with the whole congregation. I thought that could take ages. Which just showed that I wasn't thinking properly. We were in a Norfolk village. And when it came to the service starting, there was the organist at the back and there were three others on the back row and that was it. I realized it wasn't going to take that long. So we, we kind of got to that point in the service and I said, the peace of the Lord be with you and also with you. And I headed off down the aisle no one was doing anything. I thought, I'm sure it said go and exchange the peace with all the congregation. So I'm sort of going, you know how you sort of slow down a bit as you get a bit hesitant. I got there and the church warden was uh, one of the three on the back row. Well, there were now four on the back row because the organist had swiveled around. I came up to the church warden and I said, do we exchange the peace now? And she looked at me and she said, you do. I thought, oh, well. <laughs> yes, well, it's that sort of, I mean, you know, the C of E hadn't been invented to write the piece yet, but uh, it's that sort of standoff that's um, coming on here. You're earlier in Syntyche, they're not going to shake hands with each other. Uh, and they're not just fringe members either. You know, they've been in the thick of the gospel battle. Of course, you wouldn't necessarily know all that just by looking at them. I mean, they may have just looked like a pair of uh, crabby old ladies or feisty young ones. In fact, they each had an impressive CV from the gospel front line, shoulder to shoulder with the great apostle. But, you know, you, you don't necessarily know what's going on under the surface, do you? Who spots the fact that when Euodia comes through the door at the back, she wheels the buggy to that side. When Syntyche sees it, she makes sure she sits over on this side because uh, that's the other way in which we make sure we prolong our rows and disagreements. We just don't connect. Uh, here's what's going on and what's going to happen see let me ask you this who deals with fights and fallouts in the family in your family because every family has them and very often one parent is more conflict averse than the other you know that uh, uh, and more reluctant to step in and handle a spat Sometimes both are. Uh, that's got all kinds of problems. Uh, one of the children will often step into the role, though that doesn't usually go down well with their siblings. Uh, our son is the youngest of our three. He's got two elder sisters. And uh, if they ever took over instructing him on what he should or shouldn't be doing, uh, he very quickly labelled them mother two and mother three. Well, here the job's going to fall in verse 3 to my true companion. Uh, Paul's pleaded with Euodia and Syntyche, but he recognizes they're going to need help, so he turns to the true companion. Well, he or she is an individual. Some have even suggested the Greek word here is a proper name, but there seems little evidence for that. Uh, my kind of best thought thinking about it is it could be that Paul is actually describing a type of person. This is what any true companion in the Christian walk would do. Help these women, not back off them. And, and how do you help them? Well, you help them, verse 2, to be of the same mind in the Lord. I don't think it's necessarily giving Jesus' verdict on whatever the disagreement was, because it may be too far back, and sometimes those involved uh, can't even remember what started the squabble in the first place. 
And I doubt that for Euodia and Syntyche it was a great doctrinal row, or Paul would have settled it himself in the letter. I think when he's uh, uh, trying to encourage them to be the same mind in the Lord, I, I think it's uh, much more likely to be building in a mindset for relating to each other. I think it's a personalized application of, of a theme that's run through the letter that we saw yesterday back in chapter 2. Being like-minded, he'd written. Be of, the, of one mind. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The Christ who didn't grasp, didn't use rights to his own advantage, made himself nothing, took the nature of a servant, humbled himself. Be of the same mind as that Lord. View each other through those eyes. Relate to each other through that mindset, and it's hard to keep stoking the quarrels. Here's... Uh, Don Carson, the scholar and uh, author, and uh, he writes this. He says, uh, where there are disagreements of principle, argue them out, but take out your Bibles, think things through, find out why you're disagreeing, be willing to be corrected. And then he says, uh, personal differences should never become an occasion for advancing your party for st stroking bruised egos, for resorting to cheap triumphalism, for trimming the gospel by appealing to pragmatics. Focus on what unites you, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. You know, a church that can focus on the color of the chairs and stay united has done something remarkable. Um, <laughs> but I suspect that wasn't the whole truth. I don't know whether there are issues here for us, whether there are disagreements uh, that are just simmering under the surface, whether there are uh, two people in the church family who need help, who need a true companion, because we need each other. Stand firm together means growing the same mind in the Lord. But it also means uh, rejoicing in the Lord. And that's the next paragraph, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's striking, isn't it, that the apostle expects Christians to be joyful people, which is a touch embarrassing because it's not how many of us are usually. But Paul practices what he preaches. Remember back in, in Acts 16 when the gospel came to Philippi and Paul and Silas get locked up in that prison and... Uh, uh, you, you know, they've been flogged, uh, it's midnight, and they start up their own sing-along. I don't think they had a band, uh, but they just knew a few choruses and sang. Uh, he starts the letter saying how he prays for them with joy. Lots of people I pray for on my list, but I've forgotten the with joy bit at the end. Uh, he urges the Philippians to shine like stars, and uh, as he leads up to that, he says, uh, 
do everything without grumbling or arguing. As if he's aware both of the outside pressures on them as they have to live in the squeeze, but actually inside we've got all kinds of things that bubble away in us so that we can sometimes do the thing, but it's out of gritted teeth duty. And he says, no, 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 just cut the grumbling. And Paul's on death row himself, and he says, look, if I don't get out of here, uh, I'm so glad and rejoice with you all. Well, here he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And it's not some shallow perma smile. It has all the substance that in the Lord brings. The Lord who values us by the cross. Who guards us with resurrection power. Who will have the last word in history. Who holds out the keys to eternity. He is the ground of our joy. Hold that Jesus up in the most trying of circumstances. And I still have reasons for joy. I don't know if you spend much time thinking of uh, brothers and sisters in Christ in, in, in the persecuted church and some of the awful things they go through. And I think some of the, sometimes when I think of them, I, I imagine some of them who just actually get killed, died in the middle of nowhere, uh, and who knows it's even happened. And I kind of imagine what it must be like if, if your life really just disappeared like that. And, and then I realize actually, I must keep this in the Lord here because the Lord knows and the Lord knows and the Lord has a future even if no one on this planet realizes what's gone on. Let your gentleness, he goes on, be evident to all. The old versions used to say, let your moderation be evident to all and, and many people shape their religion on that thought. You know, not too much enthusiasm for anything. Just a moderate love for the Lord Jesus, a lukewarm faith. But really the word means gentleness. Under the cosh, treated unfairly, but not lashing out, gen gentle in response. I, uh, well, one of the, the areas where Christians are most persecuted uh, is in Nigeria at the moment, uh, in terms of suffering violence, uh, certainly in the north of the country. Uh, desperate thousands have been killed. I had a Nigerian bishop friend who said to me, and this was a few years back, he said, uh, Hugh, ten years ago, in the face of this violence, uh, people would be preaching about turning the other cheek. Uh, now we're taking up arms to defend ourselves. And he was bemoaning the way that had gone in some circles. Now, uh, don't be fooled. Uh, this gentleness is not the same as roll over and die. Uh, you remember at the beginning of chapter 3, he spoke about dogs and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. I mean, you can still call people out. Uh, and yet, let your gentleness be evident to all. What do you want to be known for? Your looks, your wit, your wealth, your influence, your achievements, your brain? Paul says, be known for being self-effacing, serving others not pushing our rights and needs and status. The Lord is near. And I don't quite know whether Paul is speaking objectively. You know, the second coming is closer, which as every day passes, it inevitably is. Or whether it's more subjectively, he's personally near in the room alongside you. But hold either thought and it changes life. How can I throw my weight around in self-promotion 
if the Lord is near? How can I fail to rejoice if I see the Lord looming large in the rearview mirror? Um, I was uh, watching a funeral not so long ago of a, of a friend. It was kind of back in the Zoom days uh, when everything went on. And it, it was great. They captured uh, him really well, the laughs and the deep devotion for Jesus side by side. Uh, and at the end, as they were summing up, um, the person who was leading the service said this, look, look, we're sad for uh, his widow, the family in their loss. We're sad for ourselves in our loss. We're not sad for him. He's with the Lord in glory. Uh, this ability to both grieve and yet have that grief injected with deep injection of hope is a wonderful Christian mix. And Paul's feet stay firmly on the ground, even as he writes, rejoice in the Lord always. He knows nothing undermines joy like anxiety. And life is full of anxieties. You don't need me to list them. You know, you've got your own list that's uh, there probably in the front of the mind. So you catch your breath when you read verse 6, don't you? Don't be anxious about anything. Now, be clear about this. He's not saying give no thought to anything. He's not saying have no care for anything. Care and concern are fine. Anxiety goes beyond them because anxiety is crippling. Anxiety paralyzes. Anxiety means I can't sleep and I, I can't uh, stop thinking about. Don't be anxious about anything. There's no careless indifference to life here. It, it's not that Lion King song, you know, Hakuna Matata, uh, nothing matters. Instead, we're encouraged to bring the Lord into the frame alongside our worries and fears. In every situation, present your requests to God. Be anxious about nothing. Be prayerful about everything. You know, the national, international anxieties that flood our TV screens or news feeds. I bring them to the Lord. How often do I just watch and let my heart sink? and stop there. The, the personal tragedies and heartaches or hostilities that blight so many of our lives, bring them to the Lord. Present your requests to God. And what good will that do? Well, verse 7. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, don't ask me to explain what is beyond understanding. But do notice, there's not a promise to take me out of trouble. It's a promise to keep me and guard me in it. My heart and mind, the control rooms of my life, kept in Christ Jesus. Guard, the most valuable identity and sense of belonging any of us could have. We are Jesus's. Here's Don Carson again. The cure for a crushed and bitter spirit is to see Christ Jesus the Lord and then to rejoice in him. The believer who practices rejoicing in the Lord increasingly discovers balm in the midst of heartache, rest in the midst of exhausting tension, love in the midst of loneliness, and the presence of God in control of excruciating circumstances. Such a believer never gives up the Christian walk. Resolve always to rejoice in the Lord. Stand firm together. Means growing the same mind in the Lord. 
means being known for rejoicing in the Lord. Now, a rejoicing person in today's world is a wonderfully attractive star shining in the sky, isn't it? But also, there's living in the Lord. And that's that final paragraph, eight and nine. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I mean, the flow here is obvious, isn't it? From think about such things in verse 8 to verse 9, do them, put it into practice. Think about such things, he begins, not because they are all there is to think about. Paul is being selective here. He's picking out uh, certain qualities, not so that we land up with a sort of skewed, rose-tinted view of life. You know, you sift through all the horrors and you say, well, at least Hitler got the trains to run on time, uh, as if nothing else mattered. Think about such things, more because life is full of so much that is unhealthy. We need to take time to focus on the healthy, the true, the noble, the right, the pure, the lovely, the admirable. Whatever is true, think on what is real, not just what is phony. I don't need to uh, buy into all that is said about fake news to need that focus. Whatever is pure is worth a concentrated thought in a world of so much impurity. And that think word, you see, is a serious word. It's translated elsewhere as account, reckon, reason, conclude. It's more than spare a casual thought. And in a world that throws so many messages at me, in lives that seem too busy ever to hit the pause button, where do you find space to think on such things? The um, BBC rebuilt and refurbished broadcasting house, their headquarters in the centre of London, uh, about 20 years ago. And if you step into the entrance lobby, and not the one you'll see on the telly with all the glass doors and everything, but the old entrance lobby that very few people now go through. But if you step into it, um, you'll see an inscription from the original 1931 building. I'm sure that the planners made them uh, uh, redo that whole entrance lobby exactly as it was before. Um, and uh, uh, here's what it says. It is there, the governor's prayer, that... That's a fairly staggering start, isn't it, if you think of the BBC today. It is their prayer that all things hostile to peace and purity may be banished from this house and that the people inclining their ear to whatsoever things are beautiful and honest and of good report may tread the path of wisdom and uprightness. Now, if you know your King James Version Bible, you'll see it echoes even more strongly the passage here. Someone had read Philippians 4, hadn't they? Um, now, don't get too excited, uh, because it's actually all in Latin. <laughs> so no one notices. Uh, when they'd finished their refurbishment, they very kindly gave us, because we were the church right next door to them, uh, some flood lighting. I didn't think they wanted our building to look sort of dim and dark and grotty alongside their bright one. 
so they kindly gave us some floodlighting. We held a reception to say thank you. And I took the opportunity to read out that translation um, in, in English. And I said, look, it may be in Latin, but we know what it says, and uh, we'll hold you to it which was sort of great, brave words, weren't they? which I, we totally failed to do, um, but it was a good try. Paul writes to say, in a world full of sleaze, violence, immorality, exploitation, you know, don't sink into pessimism. Don't just sink into the negative. Think on these things. What's true? What's right? What's pure? What's lovely? What's admirable? You'll find them in this book. Make time not just to read it, but think on it. Uh, remember a medic once telling me that when you start looking at porn, it begins to reshape the neuropathways in your brain that you naturally travel down. It's why it becomes so addictive. Your brain gets used to going down those channels all the time. Well, I don't know what uh, neuroscience Paul was aware of, but I think he wants our brain paths to follow a very different pattern and for us to train ourselves to become addicted to you know, what's true and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think on such things, and then does not do them. Whatsoever you've learnt, Paul says, uh, whatsoever you've learnt or received or heard from me. Now, he's not wanting to be put on a false pedestal. It's so dangerous when we do that to our leaders, don't we? And I think uh, uh, we've begun to see some of those lessons in recent years and some of the tragic uh, scandals that have come out. But we, we've got to learn to work how to do this. We mustn't put people on a falsely high pedestal because uh, they just crash. But we do need leading. And we do need leaders. And we do need leaders who will model Jesus for us. And when... Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he spells out what he means with this kind of talk, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now that's the bit where we follow our leaders. And uh, he does follow the example here. You remember those quarreling women, Euodia and Syntyche? Many speak of them as if all we know about them is their feuding and quarreling. But Paul doesn't doubt that. But his mind is also on the true and the noble and the admirable. Look back to verse 3. You see what else we know about them? They contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. They're co-workers. Their names are in the book of life. You see, you don't despair of them when you think on such things. And uh, I think, again, another lesson we've got to learn is, is to avoid reducing people to being one-dimensional. As if they're all, you know, we're all good or we're all bad. It doesn't work that way. One of the members of the church family, I mean, came to talk to me the other, the other week. She'd been uh, greatly helped by one of these issues where a scandal is now breaking out. And she was uh, uh, wondering, what do I make of all the things that seemed so good to me and had helped me so much before, and now I realize it's tainted and, and everything else. Uh, and I, I just said to her, well, look, there's nothing that tells you that person's all bad. Well, they didn't know the gospel. They haven't taught you the gospel. She said, yeah, yeah but w which bits do I take? And I said, look, she's been in the church family for quite a while. I know she's 
She's a fairly mature Christian. I said, you've got a Bible. I said, read it. Where you find what you've been taught matches up, stick to it. Where it doesn't, it's something else. But to throw everything away. Now, she's not been caught up in as a victim in any way. They've got all kinds of other issues to face. But uh, here's Paul quarreling women yeah, who are co-workers whose names are in the book of life. I've got to hold all of that together. And he says, put it into practice. Discipleship will show in our living. You remember before this uh, war in Ukraine started, as the Russian troops were, were um, massing on the borders and everything, and, and everyone spoke about a possible Russian invasion, and all along the Russians said, we're not going to invade, we're not going to invade, we're not going to invade. And I lost count of the number of Western spokesmen who said, uh, 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 actually, um, we judge Russia by her deeds, not her words. Uh, if they're going to be fair, we've got to judge the West by her deeds and not her words as well. Uh, but it's interesting, we're not going to invade, we're not going to invade back. Well, Christians are judged on our deeds too. What we think shapes what we do. Feed our minds correctly and we'll start to shape our living in godly ways. Uh, not in a one-off fix. The tenses are continuous ones. Go on thinking about such things. Go on putting into practice. Don't give up short of the finish. Don't go weary of well-doing. Go on living in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. I, I've been preaching to the choir, to those who know it all already. I, I, I know that. Thank you for sort of hanging vaguely in here. Uh, this morning, but it's so easy for Jesus to slip out of the frame that we live our lives in. So easy even to go to church but not be shaped by that most important identity of all, we're in the Lord. So easy to relate to others on my terms, not his, and lose that same mind in the Lord. So easy to... Uh, battle on handling anxieties on my own and lose that rejoicing in the Lord. So easy to be overwhelmed by darkness and evil and wrong and lose that living in the Lord. To keep on standing firm in the Lord, we'll need each other, of course. But more importantly still, we'll discover, verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. So may you know his presence with you. Amen.